is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. On the menu for today's show, lots of breaking news on the pandemic and vaccines, as well as diplomacy, Russia and Ukraine. The White House is now saying a Russian invasion of Ukraine could come within the week, maybe even this weekend. Officials are telling Americans they should leave Ukraine within the next 24 to 48 hours because they will not be rescued if Russian forces enter the country. We will go in depth and we will speak with a CBS News reporter in Moscow in just a few minutes. Parents who are hoping to get their babies and toddlers vaccinated soon, they're going to have to wait even longer if it ever happens. U.S. health regulators have just pushed back a public meeting to review Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids under five. The FDA saying it is delaying the meeting to allow time for Pfizer to provide more data on a three-dose uh, regime of the vaccine, regimen of the vaccine. Former President Trump accused of improper handling White House records. Uh, some documents he took to Mar-a-Lago reportedly marked as top secret. Super Bowl is Sunday if you're still looking for a ticket. They're cheaper than a week ago, but, you know, relative terms because still thousands of dollars. And then we talked to NFL Hall of Famer and Odyssey NFL insider Michael Irvin, former Dallas Cowboys receiver, Super Bowl champ on what it's like to play in that game itself. You know, I was thinking as soon as you said Super Bowl, it's Sunday. I'm thinking how many people are driving who went, what, it's Sunday? I thought <laughs> It was next week. <laughs> Let's start, though, with uh, young kids and the vaccine. Dr. Julie Swan is head of the Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering at North Carolina State University. She worked with the likes of the CDC and the Red Cross in uh, medication vaccination distribution efforts. Doctor, thanks for being with us. So as I understand it, uh, the FDA was poised next week to hear from an advisory panel on a two-dose a regimen of vaccines for five and under, but now they want to see more data. Is that right? You're exactly right. Uh, they were scheduled to hear that request, but it has now been canceled. We don't have full information on why that meeting and request is canceled, but there are some thoughts that either Pfizer was delayed in getting the data to the FDA or that the data had some initial things that they needed to look at more closely. Were we kind of in an unusual place with this one to begin with? Because didn't they say that, you know, the two doses don't really work? They're not giving us the effect that we wanted. So we're going to try and study three. But let's ask the FDA to at least get the kids on two. So then they're on the right track if we need this third. And if that works, that's not the regular way of doing things. You're right. And and not only that, but the FDA asked Pfizer to put in the request. It's not that Pfizer was trying to push it. And I think one of the, the things is that what is the performance measure that they were looking at after those two doses? They were looking to see if those antibodies in the children were similar to what had been induced in older populations. But that's not the only measure that you could look at. It's not that there are any safety concerns or anything like that but rather they were trying to minimize the dose. And so it does look like another booster is needed. I'm wondering what the acceptance is going to be if it turns out to be three doses for five and under uh, among parents. Because as you know, the polling thus far is sort of showing that a lot of parents are very ambivalent about having their young kids vaccinated. Some are waiting, you know, can't wait, but others are you know, taking a kind of let's wait and see approach. And I'm wondering once you say to them, your kid's going to have to get not uh, one or two, but three shots, if that's going to drive down acceptance. Well, when you say it like that, it, it certainly does give that impact. 
But of course, children get series of vaccine doses all the time. You know, we have multiple shots that they get for measles or uh, uh, polio. And, and it's just part of their annual wellness checkups where they get different vaccines at different ages. Eventually, we'll have something like that. Now, simultaneously, Moderna has also been testing uh, higher doses. Uh, and so that could also lead to a smaller number of shots. Um, but it, and it may also depend on the family. We know that there is an entire spectrum of where people are on this, with some really eager to get the, the vaccine immediately for their children and others who want to wait and see. Dr. Julie Swan, North Carolina State University. Governor Newsom on Monday plans to outline strategies for what's being called the endemic phase of the pandemic. Now, that means fewer restrictions. L.A. County's public health director saying lower hospital numbers now means that certain outdoor mass restrictions could be eased next week. But is there still confusion? With us is L.A. County Supervisor Catherine Barber. Thanks for being back with us. You know, I raised that. It was really a rhetorical question. Is there still confusion? Because I think we all <laughs> know the answer. Has there ever not been confusion right. I think for we all, two years? Yeah, I think we can all agree <laughs> that the answer is yes, there is still confusion. <laughs> so help us sort this one out. There is still confusion. I mean, the good <laughs> news is, is that Long Beach and I believe Pasadena, or I'm sorry, Pasadena and I believe Long Beach are going to align with the county, but that's about it. Anywhere outside of L.A. County, they're aligning with the state. And the state, you know, the governor's made it clear that, um, uh, that he is going to be uh, really rescinding the mask mandates as it relates to um, the order that's currently in place. But L.A. County is going to continue to uh, take very strict view on using a mask. And I, I just feel it creates confusion and, quite frankly, frustration. Uh, I hear it every day. Um, from constituents. And I also hear from constituents that are saying, you're not a doctor. And what I would say to them is, you're absolutely right, I'm not. But I've got public health experts from both USC and UCLA that have weighed in on this and think that the county is being absolutely uh, inappropriate in the way we're going about doing this. So not supportive of being different than than all these other counties? I mean, it's going to, we might be in this uh, world at least for a month or or something where it's like us and and what Santa Clara up in the Bay Area are like the masked counties and then everybody else is is not so much. Yeah. And I mean, if if the goal is to um, protect public health, um, you would think that we would want to have clarity and consistency so that people um, because people know the do's and don'ts right now around COVID. I, I would argue that the, probably a majority of them know what a mask does and how a mask can help protect you against the virus. Um, just like we know what the vaccine can do as it relates to not necessarily contracting the virus, but preventing you from ending up in the hospital and or even death. Um, but, you know, we need to give the public um, a little bit of slack in the sense that they know. And the state is now releasing it. It's, you know, uh, well, the governor actually implied that he's going to be looking at schools as well. Um, And if we don't align with the state, you're going to have a huge mutiny down here in L.A. County. I'm hearing from parents that are livid. And they're livid right now with the existing mandate that the state has in place. If the state really does um, apply different standards to the schools and makes it a lot easier for kids to play on the playground without a mask, and L.A. County continues to do that, um, I think we're going to have a whole different discussion next week. 
Does the confusion and fairness come all the way from the top? And I don't actually mean the governor. I'm talking about the CDC, because you've got the federal government. They're kind of digging their heels in, and they're saying as recently as today that they still think uh, the transmission levels are too high all over the country to drop mandatory mask requirements, especially indoors and in many cases outdoors. And then you have all these states, California will soon be one, that are, you know, very quickly dropping these mandates. Isn't that where the confusion is really originating? I I would agree with you on that, but the the federal government's made it clear that they are merely making recommendations. Each state has its own ability to to determine what what they are going to do. And again, I think it's about education. While the governor is going to uh, revisit the mask mandate on Monday, I'm confident there's going to be full education out there in terms of why, while we're not mandating it, you still need to be aware. And the virus is very much in our community. And I would argue we should begin to discuss how we are going to live with COVID because the reality is, with all the variants that seem to come into play, I don't see uh, COVID going away anytime in the near future. Well, is that one reason to kind of give people the spring and the summer in case it's, uh, you know, winter and we're told, hey, you really got to put these things on again? Well, I mean, we've seen, we've seen it go up and we've seen it go down. I mean, with Omicron, um, you know, and I'm one of those individuals that got it, um, it definitely peaked um, during December and now you're seeing the numbers go down. I think that's just the reality of what we're living with. And I feel we should be putting more resources into educating on getting vaccinated. Um, there was, you know, miscommunication. I always say with COVID, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so early on with the vaccine, it was if you get it, you won't get corona or the get COVID. But we found that, in fact, it just simply prevented you from really ending up in the hospital and or dying if you didn't have uh, existing medical conditions. So I think we need to educate on getting vaccinated. And then obviously for those that do are in a high risk category, continue to wear your mask. Um, it is the best line of defense, especially if you're going out in public. But I feel like we shouldn't be a nanny state. We should actually trust people to know um, the do's and don'ts and the rights and the wrongs. L.A. County Supervisor Catherine Barger. Supervisor, thanks. Coming up, the White House says a Russian invasion of Ukraine could happen as soon as this weekend. It's telling Americans to leave Ukraine within the next 24 to 48 hours. We'll go in depth with a live interview with the CBS News reporter Felix Light. He is in Moscow. Right now, though, some documents former President Trump apparently took to his home in Mar-a-Lago reportedly marked as top secrets. There's also this other report that uh, the toilet was clogged and there were documents in there. Um, questions are being raised about whether Mr. Trump broke any federal laws. With us is former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti, current legal analyst, host of the On Topic podcast. Renato, thanks for being back on the show. So, uh, yes, let's drill down on all of these. But maybe first, do you want to touch on the uh, Hillary Clinton fans selling their hats, saying, but her emails, guys, but her emails. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's de- there's definitely a, a hint of irony here um, or hypocrisy, depending on your point of view. Uh, the the fact that documents that were classified were removed from the White House from a secure location and brought to Mar-a-Lago is a concern. It obviously is, appears that it, it it's a mishandling of classified material. But as we learned from Mr. Comey, and I think he was right about this in the end, um, that criminal prosecution rarely comes in a case of uh, inadvertent mishandling of classified information. What it could generate potential criminal liability is if 
there were there was a willful or intentional removal of classified information from a secure location to an insecure location, uh, potentially for transfer to a third party. So that that I think remains to be seen. We don't have enough evidence on that yet. So that actually leads to a question that 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 is only I'm only half joking about is is it a different offense whether the former president just tosses stuff into the toilet and, <laughs> as if, and then it, or if he flushes it is it worse? Yeah, I got <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I, uh, First time I we've federal prosecutor, him. Yeah. Yeah. no, that's fine. When I was a federal prosecutor, I actually had a deal on a regular basis with evidence getting flushed down the toilet. Uh, it was a common uh, theme in drug cases. I mean, that's usually where this comes up. Uh, low level drug dealers are flushing the cocaine down the toilet when they hear the DEA breaking down their door. Uh, so I but not in white collar cases, not in when they're sophisticated defendants, because usually they know that we don't use typewriters. Right. We use computers <laughs> to generate these things. There's some electronic records somewhere, the documents. So there was always about deletion or things like that. So it's very it was very surprising to hear that news. It's obviously uh, it doesn't look good. It's the sort of thing that a juror is going to seize on right away. And the question whether that's. Criminal or not depends on what's the sheet of paper and what, on the sheets of paper and what the intent is behind it. But if it's to hide something that's uh, questionable or unlawful, then that itself, you know, or that's under investigation, that, of course, itself could be obstruction of justice. Well, the book that that passage appears in is going to sell all sorts of copies now that they got <laughs> yeah. that out. So, um, congratulations to them. It, the president does have, like, broad powers to declassify things, right? So can't he just say, you know what, I took this stuff and uh, since I was president, uh, you know, it's not as top secret as, as uh, one is led to belief because uh, I took it. I'm the president. Yeah, you know, that there are actually procedures for a president declassifying information. It's not like he could just say it. You know, he's alone in a room and he just says, you know, this is declassified and it magically is like he waves his hand. Uh, so I, as of technically speaking, that's not that's not an appropriate response. Obviously, if this ever actually got to trial, jurors might find that appealing you know you could always can all you need to do is convince one juror and you could hang the jury but uh this is obviously just speaking in hypotheticals uh and and at a high level that's not sufficient under the law to declassify information you know you say uh, if it goes to trial and that's my question do you think this ever any of this is going to actually ever go to trial uh, you know, if you asked me if I was a betting man and I'm, I'm in Vegas or something when I okay. put my money on it, sure, I uh, probably not. Um, but I don't have enough information to tell you, uh, that one way or the other. What I would say is that, you know, for a lot of the things you hear in the, in the news, there are some of its, you know, some of the potential violations are criminal. Some are only civil. Some are things that are hard to prove intent. Regarding the, the classified documents, the, the, what, one thing about those, I will say is that either they're classified or not and whether they're moved out or not the question there is just how intentional was that uh you know was that something that was inadvertent when there's hundreds of boxes of things getting moved out of the white white house that somebody happened to do that um or was that something that he deliberately said you know what i want to get these class we need to grab this 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 classified material and keep it and you know really that's very fact specific and it's just the reality of it Former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti, legal analyst, hosts the On Topic podcast. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Felder. 
Is a Russian invasion of Ukraine imminent? White House urging all Americans in Ukraine leave within 24 to 48 hours, saying an invasion could happen within days. The U.S. won't be going in to rescue any stranded Americans. Now, the warning from the White House sounds much more urgent than just a couple of days ago. So what is actually going on? Let's go to Moscow now with the CBS News reporter Felix Like. Felix, thanks for being with us. How is this news being played uh, where you are in Moscow? Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, I've been saying this uh, kind of throughout this this, this whole crisis, and it, it, it sort of seems uh, like I'm repeating myself a little bit here. And I it, it, it really, this this crisis is not really sort of something that, that Russians on the ground are really thinking about to the same extent as you might see in the U.S. or even in Europe, uh, and certainly in Ukraine. You know, what I think we don't see is that even though we see a huge military buildup on that border with Ukraine, sort of, you know, definitely the kind of Russian troops that could, uh, you know, do serious damage and undertake a serious offensive here, it's not something we see talked about here. You know, we don't see sort of on the Kremlin-controlled media that sort of propaganda offensive to try and sell the Russian public on a war. And to be honest, like, in contrast to uh, the, the previous sort of Russian attack on Ukraine in, uh, in 2014, uh, eight years ago, what we really don't see is sort of an organic demand almost for war on the street. You know, the issues that are sort of educating the Russian uh, population here, the issues that are sort of people worry about are things like pensions, are things like inflation, you know, uh, wages being eroded by rising prices. We're not really seeing a sort of an upswing of sort of public demand for war with Ukraine. You know, this is a sort of very much an issue that sort of is decided behind closed doors in the Kremlin, in Vladimir Putin's sort of small circle of advisors. And this really doesn't seem like a city, you know, on the brink of war. But, you know, we don't know what's going on inside Vladimir Putin's head. Yeah. And I guess does it not matter if there's a public appetite? Because it's just that's what's going to happen. If Putin wants to do it, Putin's going to do it. And then I guess also some of the reporting from Ukraine, interesting from across the other side of the border. You know, you hear people saying, well, I don't think he's going to. But then over here, it's like we seem convinced that he will. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I think, you know, here the attitude is a little bit of sort of apathy and a sort of disengagement, right? People realize that they can't affect politics. You know, Russia, in contrast to Ukraine, is not a democracy. You know, if Putin wants to do something, then Putin will do something. But I think it is sort of kind of interesting that sort of the Russian, you know, state TV, you know, these are these are sort of media outlets, TV channels, newspapers that are very specifically sort of controlled by the Kremlin and which are told what to say by the Kremlin are really not pushing this line of war. You know, this is not something they're talking about. And I think that is sort of still relevant. You know, there isn't sort of that full-throated propaganda offensive. So it might mean that that this decision still hasn't been taken sort of behind closed doors to to go ahead with this thing yet. Well, it is one advantage perhaps of not, as you put it, uh, pushing this, this notion of impending war, is one of the advantages to that is that if in the end Putin pulls back, it's much more of a face-saving thing because he won't have to justify to his population what he did because they don't really know what he was thinking of doing to begin with. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think a lot of people have suggested that Putin would find it difficult to pull back. But I think domestically, it's really not the case. You know, he could wind this thing down tomorrow. And I think if anyone sort of noticed here, they'd just be sort of grateful that there's not a war. You know, this is, you know, they really domestically, you know, the Russian government hasn't gone all in on sort of preparing the country for this thing. So, you know, uh, in, if there's any face left uh, lost, it might be in, in terms of sort of, you know, 
uh, global leaders, you know, Joe Biden or whatever. But I think domestically, Putin would get away with it very easily. In terms of timing, there was all this talk about, you know, it's not going to be till after the Olympics. But then there was some commentary the other day saying, you know, the other thing here is you can't have all those troops there forever, even if you're saying you're doing drills, because that's a lot of manpower. That's a lot of resources. It's not sustainable to have tens of thousands of people doing all that all the time so either you go home or you get what you want really fast at the negotiating table or you actually have to go and do this yeah it's 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 perfectly possible you know we have sort of all the military bases along that western border with ukraine basically full up right now you know uh there's not much sort of more they can sort of plausibly sort of send there without you know you start to get issues of morale sort of declining and sort of wear and tear of military equipment uh but on the other hand you know I've, you know, there have been suggestions that maybe this is the new normal. You know, Putin made a speech last November where he said, you know, that the, the basic Russian foreign policy should be to sort of keep the West on its toes to maintain this antagonistic sort of uh, posture. So maybe that's the play. Maybe he wants to sort of string this out as long as possible until people get bored of it and people are stopped, uh, lose interest in sort of defending Ukraine. That also seems very possible. So, uh, you know, I'm just sort of giving suggestions here. I don't know what's going on in Vladimir Putin's head and no one else does. So, I, you know. I know, but I was going to say, I mean, to amass like, what, 100,000 plus uh, troops to have that as the potential outcome, I, I suppose that could be worth it in his mind. But it seems like an awful lot to go through. Possibly. But, you know, you have to understand that, like, Ukraine is absolutely central to sort of Putin's view of the world and his view of Russia and his view of his own legacy. You know, this is a guy who's the president of the largest country in the world who took uh, took some time this summer to write a 7000 word essay about why he thought Ukraine and Russia were the same country. Right. This is a guy who feels the importance of Ukraine as an issue absolutely emotionally and sort of culturally and probably is the defining issue of his presidency. So I think this this the stakes for Putin, in Putin's mind could not be higher for this. And, you know, what's a few hundred thousand troops if, you know, that's, that's if this is if your presidency is depending on it, you know. CBS News reporter Felix Light there in Moscow. Felix, thank you. The White House says it is not sure if Vladimir Putin has decided on whether to invade Ukraine. No matter what he's planning at the moment, can a crisis be averted? You know, diplomats from the U.S., uh, Britain, France, elsewhere have been working to try and avoid an invasion. Is it too late now? With us is Will Pomerantz, acting director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute, experts on Russian politics, law, economics. Will, thanks for being here. So we've said it every segment, I think, that we've done on this. We just said it in the last one. Nobody can get inside Vladimir Putin's head. But what is your read on the situation, at least where it stands at the moment? Well, judging from Jake Sullivan's uh, press conference earlier today, uh, he's, I think, was pretty sure that Vladimir Putin has made a decision. Um, He didn't say overtly that he's made a decision, but he suggested that everybody who is in Ukraine leave. And I think he suggested that there is a high probability that there will be a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, It will entail multiple fronts. And uh, I think that uh, unless diplomacy works, and it hasn't worked so far, I think Vladimir Putin has decided that he's going to attack Ukraine. Now, as you know, there are different levels, I suppose, of attacking. There's going into the eastern portion, right, of Ukraine, where he has, you know, many sympathizers. Then there's going all the way to Kiev, the capital. What's your sense? Again, um, you, you said at the beginning that you wouldn't have me go into Vladimir Putin's head. I know. Uh, I, we went back I, on that. <laughs> I, I, was, 
<laughs> well, then, uh, you, you guys are tough negotiators. Um, but I think um, in light of what I think he wants to happen uh, in terms of rolling back the post-Cold War settlement, uh, I think he is envisioning a major attack on multiple fronts, including an attack on Kiev. To then take it over forever or take it over and then take what he wants of the country? Or, I mean, what's the end game here? Because then a bunch of people die, first of all, which is bad. And then you've got resistance fighters sniping at the Russians until, well, forever. Uh, So what happens? Well, the question remains then, does Vladimir Putin want to occupy Ukraine? It's a country of 45 million people. Uh, There are pockets of sympathy. Uh, I think he could find his puppet leaders if he wanted to. But as you said, the Ukrainians will fight. There will be an insurgency. And it will not be easy for Vladimir Putin to control Ukraine without escalating the level of violence. And we just don't know what level of violence Vladimir Putin is willing to go to and to tolerate. But if the goal is to decapitate Ukraine, to make sure that it doesn't follow its aspirations to be a European nation, then it will require a large occupation army in order to succeed. And the threatened sanctions that the U.S. and our Western allies are are, are using as a kind of threat against uh, any moves by Putin. Are they going to matter in the end? Vladimir Putin believes he can survive sanctions. And he did survive sanctions uh, in the aftermath of the annexation of Crimea, where the United States and the European allies put significant sanctions on Russia, dealing with most notably energy and banking. Uh, Putin survived it. He now has $600 billion plus in reserve. And so I think that he has decided that he can manage and stay in control uh, even if sanctions are introduced and if severe sanctions are introduced. Now, there is an open question as to to what extent the Europeans will also engage and follow through on the sanctions. Uh, The Europeans have much greater economic ties and relations with Russia and will take the greater financial hit. But I think, uh, in light of the statements that have been made, uh, that Europe will introduce severe sanctions. And if they don't follow up with sanctions, then we're talking about the end of the North Atlantic uh, alliance. They have been telegraphing that they're more apt to put on those sanctions now that the deploy because they've all tried i mean they've all gone back and forth to try and talk to him and he hasn't budged so far right so there are a wide array of sanctions that the united states and our european allies can introduce uh the one sanction that i think there has been real pushback on is expelling russia from the banking the swift banking messaging system Uh, Because, again, the Europeans have a lot of business ties with 
the Russian Federation. Uh, I don't know if that is on the on the table or not, but President Biden has said that there would be significant export controls uh, and other sanctions that will be put on the Russian economy, and Putin is betting that he can survive them, that the the Western allies will not be united, that he might be able to find alternative markets and allies, most notably China, but. I think that the United States and its allies have shown, at least in the uh, the the buildup to this crisis, remarkable unity. And I would be surprised if the Europeans would decide to go it alone uh, if the Russians attack. No, there was some thinking that if Putin were to make a move, he wouldn't do it until the uh, uh, Winter Olympic Games end. But didn't he do this once before? And, and didn't he make a move during Olympic Games? Yeah. So um, Jake Sullivan was pretty clear today that uh, the Olympics are not uh, a a formidable obstacle for Putin this time. And indeed, I think the Olympics are almost half over. Uh, so he has let China at least enjoy some of the Olympic glory uh, that Beijing has by hosting it. Uh, but yes, Russia has invaded in, in previous Olympics, um, and I don't think uh, that in light of what Vladimir Putin may be uh, anticipating, uh, that he will stop uh, his plans just because of the Olympics. Will Pomerantz, acting director, the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. Will, thanks. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. If you remember, we looked at uh, Super Bowl ticket prices last week. They were averaging uh, $10,000 on one ticket site. Yeah, slightly more than I can afford. Right, yes. You're not going to go? <laughs> no. But maybe now. <laughs> well, yes, because average prices are dropping. They're about $3,500 right now on a few different sites. If you're still interested in going to the game, when exactly is the right time to buy? Should you wait until the very last minute? Brett Goldberg is co-founder and co-CEO of TickPick, where prices were last, averaging about $3,400. Brett, thanks for being with us. Uh, so $3,400 is compared to, I don't know, 10000 quite a bargain. Well, I guess that's how quick things change because 30 minutes ago it was around $3,500 to get in. That's all in. And now it's come up by about $1,000. So you're looking at a $4,400 get in. It's gone up. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of buying activity in the last hour or so. And you know, when you get these big spurts, a lot of buying, sometimes that can change prices. Is this because word got out that they had come down to 3400 bucks, and a few people were like, you know what, I can swing that. I mean... Supply and demand, right? It's completely supply and demand. And what's interesting is even when it was in those low prices and you're seeing a lot of a lot of transactions, sometimes the market takes a little bit of time to respond and you're not quite sure, you know, how much depth is there in the buyer demand. And then eventually you get enough and then sellers respond and say, oh, I don't, don't want to miss out. And then they start to think, oh, maybe this market's going to go up. And then that's what we've seen now in the last hour. So if somebody wants to get a real bargain, uh, is it Don't more go like... go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, 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 stay, stay home. Yeah. No, I mean, as they get closer, if they buy a ticket, if they can on Sunday, is it likely to be cheaper or more money? 
Yeah, depending the day and time you ask me, my my answer is going to change. You know, about three or four days ago, my estimate was that it would be forty five hundred dollars the morning of on Sunday, and then just my own forecast is that prices would start to rise as you get closer to the game because you know the LA market, you've got a lot of fans that are there that can wait last minute. The market already itself, it's people that wait last minute. And over the last several years, the demand on day of game has just continued to increase. So people are comfortable waiting longer and longer. Things are all mobile now. So you could wait till the minute before. I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, <laughs> I get a heart attack uh, just thinking about it. Yeah, I was curious when you were saying that, you know, because it is L.A., I wonder if there's a little bit of an L.A. factor. There are going to be inevitably some people who have some money who are on Sunday going to be like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's go. I'm I'm going to drive over there. And also, what a wild thing to wake up Sunday morning and be like, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the Super Bowl this afternoon. <laughs> I think I think most of the people, it's you're watching it. And we could, you know, we could see it on our own site. You've got 10,000 people a day looking at, at these tickets. And, you know, you're a Bengals fan. You may be coming to L.A. just to come, and you're not sure if you're going to go. But if the price gets right, and a lot of people's price points that I was hearing up until the last couple of days was if it gets below 4000 I'm going. And I think that's <laughs> what, you, what you've seen here. I was going to say, what's the cheapest price you think people might be able to end up spending? I mean, when I was asked this question a week ago, I didn't think it was getting below $4,000. We just haven't seen that in the last several years. Uh, and when I when I quote these prices, I think it's always important. I'm quoting all-in prices on TickPick. So we show all-in pricing. So the price you see is what you pay. Unfortunately, most other places, whatever price you're going to see, there's going to be a fee added on. And when you're talking about a $4,000 listing price those fees are a thousand to you know fifteen hundred dollars oh wait a minute wait a minute so so the four thousand isn't isn't it it's more on tick pick it is but i'm those know, other I'm, guys I'm, more yes. but yeah. on his and, thing and oh, that's okay that's why we got him on the show right but in some places when it says four thousand you're actually <laughs> paying maybe five or more correct but you've already clicked. I want these. So are you going to back out? You know, yes. with the thousand fees, that's not going to do it. All right, uh, Brett Goldberg, co-founder, co-CEO, tick pick uh, prices uh, back above four. But you know, if they drop down some more, we'll let you know, and then you can snag them. When it gets down to twenty-five bucks, let me know. Beginning of the show, we said you know Super Bowl Sunday, and you said, wouldn't it be weird if someone was driving around with what? <laughs> I know, it's like really, really, is that, it's on Sunday. That's coming up. I had no idea. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But but I am surprised about the ticket price thing that we just were talking about because uh, you know it went from what ten grand down to we thought thirty five, but yeah, you said it, it like went up to thirty four, thirty five hundred. But then people got. People got the word. You yeah. Know? Somebody and, texted. Well, it was interesting that the guy was saying, you know what? I can track how many people are you, on eBay auctions. It's like right. 50 people are watching this. He said, you know, 10,000 people are watching my page. So it got to that level. And somebody said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Here's my credit card number. Let's go. But, you know, Mike, I always wonder who are all these people who can <laughs> shell out, you know, 10,000, 4,000. If you got if you're bringing like a family and, you know, four or five people at four grand a pop. That's you're doing rock, money. paper, scissors to figure out who's cut. From yeah. the family list. It's like, there's two tickets. I'm sorry, right. Timmy. You're not coming to the game. Uh, try and earn your own money. You can come next year. But, I mean, driving around this town is, uh, 
is ready. You're seeing more hats. You're seeing more T-shirts. Yes, we have Rams Donuts in the newsroom. I we don't do? know if you no, saw I them didn't. yet. I didn't yes. notice that. Thank you to whoever brought them. I think it was Randy's Donuts brought us some Rams Donuts, which is great. But i tell you something else. I mean, you know, the, the weather, this may be, what, the hottest we Super Bowl? We might break our own record. We had it from years ago, right. like 30 years or something. That was the last time it was the hottest Super Bowl. And, and now, and uh, now we're, we're going to have it again. Yeah, now we're going to have it again. It's going to be 85 degrees out there. And uh, right now with us, Odyssey NFL insider, NFL Hall of Famer, former Cowboys receiver Michael Irvin. He's got three Super Bowl rings uh, with the Cowboys. Uh, Michael, thanks for being here. Before we were um, getting you on the phone here, we were talking about how hot it's going to be. I mean, 85 degrees, this is, uh, this is shorts and sandals weather. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect football <laughs> weather. Perfect Super Bowl weather. You know what I mean? I can't stand when I'm in places like Green Bay, and it drops to 30 degrees or 25 <laughs> degrees. And that announcer, and he does it every time. Boy, this is football weather. I'm like, shut up. No, it's not. <laughs> Give me some sunshine. Football weather. So, That's why we start in September. That's why we don't start in November in December. We start in September where it's 80 degrees all over the world just about. Hey, Michael, what is it like uh, to – play a Super Bowl, something that I will never, ever do. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's nothing like it, and it really isn't. And, and uh, there are a lot of guys that will be playing in their first Super Bowl in this Super Bowl, so let me tell you this, man. No matter what, when they hit that field, when they hit that field, they're, they're, they're going to be in all because this is what they dreamed about, even since they've been a kid. You know, you thought about this, you dreamed about it, and now you're actually in that game, so – yeah, there's nothing like it, man. I can't believe the last Super Bowl that was here was our Super Bowl 30 years ago. I scored a touchdown in the last Super Bowl played in L.A. That just doesn't sound right. <laughs> so take me. Look, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. <laughs> take me, though, I mean, because you, you say there is some magic, right? So even if they don't think they're going to be nervous or they don't think it's going to be different because they've made it to the Take me back to when you walk out of that tunnel, run out of that tunnel. What, oh. what is that like when you look around and then it hits you and you realize, oh, my God, and, this is and, a Super Bowl. And that's the perfect, that, that's the perfect place because, you know, that, that's what we were saying. Because remember, when we came here, that was our first – we were supposed to be, like Cincinnati, probably a year away. And, 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 and Buffalo had been there a few years. So everybody said, Buffalo has the experience. And so I was all week in interviews. I said, let me tell you something. A 20-yard square in is a 20-yard square in. I can run it <laughs> on a practice field. I can run it on a regular game. I can come running in your damn driveway and beat you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So the Super Bowl ain't going to make a difference. Dude, when we, Emmett and I, we always, right before we go on the field, We'll hit each other, we'll hit our chest and hit each other with two fingers saying double trouble. That means if we don't do it, it won't get done. By land or by air, we will win this game. <laughs> we did that, and then we walked on the field. Dog, I promise you, my knees buckled. Right? It was like, oh, I said, oh my God. And it's a whoa. He looked at me, he said, don't say anything, because if they know we're scared, we got hit shot. <laughs> we got in trouble. <laughs> That's great. And it took a few minutes. It took a few minutes for us to catch our breath, because yeah. you're going to hyperventilate, too. But luckily, we were able to win that game. i got to ask something. So you've got three of those giant Super Bowl rings, right? So can you wear, like, all three and still lift your hand to sign checks and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, <laughs> they are pretty big, and, and, and then I have to put my national championship ring on, my, my Hall of Fame ring, all of the rings right there with I, you know, I tell people this. I said, man, when you win one ring, you wear that ring all the time and remind people that you want it. Look at my ring. Look at my ring. But when you want as many as I have, they know you have them. You don't need them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, what do our Rams need to do on Sunday to win this thing? And, and this is simple. And I, and, and I know people have done it, and they still have lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow you got to get to that quarterback on the front end because those receivers will beat you that he has on the back end. And guys have gotten to him. Tennessee sacked him nine times. You know, so he's been sacked and he's gotten up. He's gotten up and still won those games because he has, Cincinnati has that thing that's just, you, you, you can't, that they're always in a game. That explosive play means they're always in a football game. But you got to get to Joe Burrow if you got any shot. Uh, so I want to ask you about uh, fan duels, right? Because you have been everywhere, wherever you look. <laughs> and you're going to be at this event. It's the first ever Super Bowl party, right? And you're one of the featured stars. What, yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you mean? Uh, what, what did you just say? You, you cut out on it. Oh, I, I, you didn't hear. Oh, what I was saying is that uh, FanDuel, right? They're going to have their first ever Super oh, yeah. Bowl party. And you, yeah. you're one of the featured stars. So how is that going to go down? Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. It took me some, some real fighting wrestling to get there, but it'll be a lot of guys there. You know, it, it'll be a lot of guys because, you know, the NFL, you got to go and get permission to do these things, even though they're partners with FanDuel. I was like, wait a minute, but you guys are partners with them. Why can't I come to, you know, that's a whole nother fight. That's a whole nother fight. So, so, okay, it's okay for you guys to get a little money, but I can't go work with them. Okay, I see what you're But okay. But that's but that's a whole other fight. But I am looking forward to 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 this event, man. They got a lot of guys coming, a lot of stars coming, a lot of guys. Uh, uh, we can talk football and we have some fun. Yeah, well, they're going to pitch you up against each other. I mean, there's like uh, ping pong and cornhole, and there's beer pong. Are you good at beer pong? No, 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 no. I'm not good at beer pong. <laughs> but, but, but but I'm going to try some ping pong. Steve Smith and I will be doing ping pong and all of that now <laughs> and have a little fun. But 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 no, I, 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 I'm not that cornrow. But I like cornrow. And dude, let me just—it's it's incredible how good people have gotten at this game already. You see, you ever see those cornrow championship things on TV? I mean, them dudes be hit. I'm mean, like, that's 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 pretty amazing. You gotta admit, <laughs> the wind that's up. pretty amazing. So Michael, so the he, so uh, the headline Monday morning, fill in the blank, blank wins Super Bowl. I uh, yeah. And I do this thing on Saturday night. On Saturday night, this is how I usually determine who I'm going to pick. I call as many guys I know on each team. And I said, what was your F factor? What's your F factor? If a guy says his F factor means he had, but I had a lot of fun here. I put an X by his name. If he says, man, I was focused here, I put a check by his name. And then I count up the X's in the checks, and that'll tell me who's going to win this game, who came to play football, and who came to just play in the streets and play. That'll tell you something right there. But I find it hard to believe that Aaron Donald, who's already tasted defeat in this game, is going to let you come into his house, his house, and win a Super Bowl on his home turf. If he did that, 
every game next year. You'll be lining up to play the Detroit Lions, and you'll still see Cincinnati Bengals, confetti falling. You're getting ready to play the Chicago Bears, and you're going to see Cincinnati Bengals, confetti falling. Oh, you got the, you, you, you got the Dallas Cowboys today. Why is this Cincinnati Bengals, confetti falling? You can't let this team beat you on your turf. All right, Michael Irvin, Odyssey NFL insider, Hall of Famer, former Cowboy, and uh, three rings. Michael, thanks for talking to us. So I figured out how I can afford a ticket, right? Because they were saying it was like four grand, right? Right. You put up 3999 <laughs> I put in a dollar, got a ticket. Show's over. Okay. We'll talk Monday.